0: Finishing John 9. I know, it feels like we just started 9, John 9. In fact, we did just start John 9. But, uh, well, I was trying to get to the resurrection of Lazarus for resurrection day. So, this was the compromise that my soul had to make. Going quickly through 9 so we can spend some decent time in 10. Since 10, I think, is a very important pa- uh, chapter. All right, we're going to pick up in verse 12 um actually are we no verse 8 my my foolishness yet again hear the word of our god the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying is this not the man who used to sit and beg some said it is he others said no but he is like him he kept saying i am the man So they said to him, "'How then were your eyes opened?' He answered, "'The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, "'Go to Shiloh and wash.' So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, "'Where is he?' He said, "'I do not know.' They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind." And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, "'We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, "'but how he now sees we do not know, "'nor do we know who opened his eyes. "'Ask him. He is of age. "'He will speak for himself.' "'His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, "'for the Jews had already agreed "'that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ,' He was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, That though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. "'But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from.' The man answered, "'Why? "'This is an amazing thing. "'You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? "'We know that God does not listen to sinners. "'But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him.' Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, may the light of the world continue to shine upon us, enabling us to see who he is and what his word means. May he open the eyes of the spiritually blind among us today. May he comfort us with the knowledge of his presence to bring grace and mercy to us in our times of need. Amen. Controversy seems to be a way of life amongst us. Uh, Not so much in this congregation, but kind of larger. If you spend any time on Facebook, you see all kinds of controversy. You see people fighting about Monsanto. You see people fighting about yoga pants. You see, you see people fighting about all kinds of things online. Some of them are worth fighting about, and some of them really aren't worth fighting about whatsoever. Vaccines. Which sports team is a better team? Which quarterback is a better quarterback? Politics. All of this goes on, and sometimes it really works to divide communities. Homeschooling versus public schooling versus private schooling. All of this, if we're not careful, can divide communities. But as we look at this passage, we see something very important, and Paul alluded to this in the Corinthian letter as well, is that sometimes there are necessary controversies that necessarily have to divide communities. This is one of those necessary controversies, those necessary conflicts that must divide the community, unfortunately, of Israel. Our big idea this morning is that Christ brings comfort and condemnation to conflict. Let's work through this, brothers and sisters. First off, let us remember that Christ creates controversy and conflict, not all controversy and conflict, but he certainly created this one. You see, had he not healed the man born blind, and had he not done it on the Sabbath day, there would be nothing here to fight about. These people would continue on in whatever ease they experienced. But Jesus is inserting himself again into the life of Israel by changing the life of this one man who was born blind. He's changing everything and it will spill over into the community, and there will be conflict. We see this conflict right off the bat. It started with the neighbors. The neighbors who couldn't decide if that was actually the man who was born blind. Now imagine that for a second. Had he changed his appearance? It wasn't as if he was deformed, and now he was Properly formed. It was merely that he had once been blind and now he sees, and there are people who they are going, It only looks like him. It's not really him. We pass him every day. In fact, I bet if I go over there now, I'd see him standing there or sitting there begging for food or alms. Remember, and that day, there was nothing for a blind man to do but to sit by the side and ask for mercy and compassion from others. They're arguing about this. They don't even know who this man is. I've told the story about Professor Nicole. Years after I graduated, I went back. I was sitting in the library, and uh, I had changed a little bit from point A to point B. I put on a little weight, and I had facial hair, although I had some at times in seminary. But I saw Dr. Nicole, and he had been one of my advisors through the years, and I'd taken a number of classes with him, and his classes were small, and it was Dr. Nicole, how are you? And he looked at me a little funny. <laughs> it's Steve Cavallaro. Steve Cavallaro, I know. But you are not Steve Cavallaro. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? So, you know, I break up my driver. It's me, it's me. Okay. That's what's probably crazy. This is probably what's going on through this. What do you mean you're not sure it's me? You have seen me all of my life. And you don't know if I'm me? This man is probably confused. He doesn't know why they have not broken out in praise to God because this man who was blind from birth now sees. They're caught up on, is that really him who's blind now? They begin asking questions about how it was his eyes were opened and we're going to see that this, this conflict begins to escalate quickly and go out of control. Once they learn that this man they call Jesus was involved, they decide they need to bring in the Pharisees so that they might have insight. They're bringing in, in a sense, the session, the elders of the church. They want a a proper ruling on this matter. And that's when it really goes bad, brothers and sisters. That, That doesn't mean you shouldn't bring things to the session of the church, by the way. Okay, not saying that. Okay. Now, the Pharisees were split. Not only were the neighbors split, but the Pharisees were split. There was division amongst them because some of them recognized this as a sign, but some of them were caught up on the Sabbath, thinking that Jesus has broken the Sabbath and therefore cannot be a godly man, and this cannot therefore be a sign from God. So if We're kind of dealing with this. If the sign is legitimate, then Jesus is a godly man whose prayer was answered by God. But if the Sabbath was broken, then this is either not a sign or it is a counterfeit sign. Okay, There's two possibilities. Either this man was not blind and cannot see now, or this has been a sign that has been sent to deceive and delude people, and must therefore be quickly squashed. Those are the options in the minds of the Pharisees at this moment. Now, why would they think he's breaking the Sabbath? Because there's nothing in the Sabbath regulation that would indicate that Jesus could not heal on the Sabbath. Now, In the tradition of the elders, they had the idea that you could heal on the Sabbath, but there had to be a life-threatening thing that you're healing this person from. Blindness, well, you know, you can wait till Monday. Well, actually, it'll be Sunday. You can wait a day before you heal this guy, because it's not going to threaten his life, unless, of course, you think of the idea that maybe he won't see the cart coming that rolls over him. I don't know, but not life-threatening in and of itself. Additionally, the Mishnah, which was a commentary on the Old Testament, prohibited kneading, you know, like kneading dough to make bread. And so what their argument seems to be is that the process of making mud meant that Jesus was kneading like dough and therefore working and therefore breaking the Sabbath. Now... Let us keep this in mind, that Jesus did not break the law that was given to Moses. He did, however, break the tradition of the elders. Those two things are very different, and we must keep that in mind. Westminster Shorter Catechism, answer number 14, is very important for us to remember. You've got to keep this tucked in your mind. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of the elders. The law of God. Okay? What they are doing is placing their tradition, their rules, their law on equal footing as the law of God. And they're saying that because Jesus has broken these things, he is therefore a sinner. And since he's a sinner, we don't have to listen to him. We, in fact, should condemn him. Okay? Now, I hate to break it to you, but the Pharisees weren't the only ones to do this. Christians do this all the time. Way back when in a different period of my life, I was in a Southern Baptist church, and it was near the end of my time, that Southern Baptist church. And one reason why, why was some people in Sunday school, which I periodically taught, learned that oh, Steve has a beer once in a while. Okay. Not Steve is a drunk. That would have been sin that Steve had a beer. And so they were, they were saying, that they weren't sure if they could come when Steve was teaching because he occasionally had a beer with his pizza. Okay? That is putting a man-made rule, because the Scriptures never say, don't have alcohol, as if it was the Scripture. The Scripture clearly says, you are not to be drunk. right. Okay? Churches do this all the time. You can't dance. Does the Scripture say anywhere that we can't dance? Now, I shouldn't dance. Okay? But that's different. Okay? I had a brief conversation with somebody, and uh, um, I won't give you all the background of it. But basically I said, you know what? You can go to Hooters. I don't care. Not good for me to go to Hooters. Okay? Okay? Now, if I made it a rule that no Christian should ever go to Hooters and enjoy what apparently are supposedly very good—not just wings, but apparently very good uh, crab legs—I'd never do this. Okay? If you want to go and do that, who am I to say anything? Okay? I can't judge you. You haven't broken God's law. Okay? But I know—I know I what's know wise for me, and I stay away as best I can. We have to be careful of elevating our rules, the kingdom of Steve, okay, to the kingdom of God and start excommunicating people on the basis of our rules as opposed to God's law. That's a form of legalism. Okay, There are other forms of legalism, but it is legalism to make our rules the same as his law. But there's another controversy that kind of erupts in the midst of this. If you were listening... They said they weren't even sure if he was born blind. (laughs) They weren't sure (laughs) whether this man, who had been a beggar all of his adult life, however long that was, was actually blind. They sound like the truthers in our day. There's all kinds of truthers. There's 9-11 truthers. There's even the guy on the moon truthers. You know, the people who say that it actually took place in a sound stage in Hollywood, that no one has ever been to the moon, okay? The, these guys are like that in this moment. They're denying what seems to be obvious to everybody. They're truthers. But this controversy spreads as they bring his parents in to provide testimony. And so we see this controversy working its way throughout the community within Jerusalem. Christ and his signs necessarily create controversy and conflict in communities, even up to today when we see it around the world. Secondly, let us remember, brothers and sisters, that confessing Christ comes with a cost, but also a comfort. Okay? The parents called before the Pharisees come. But they refuse to say how. They they admit, "Yep, that's our boy. Yep, he was blind. Yep, now he sees." How? We don't know. Okay. You'll have to ask him. This is one of the places where, um, I guess, an idea of the age of accountability might be in place. But really, what I think it is is just the age of adulthood. Basically, they're saying that he has been bar mitzvahed. He's an adult where he's not under our authority in this way anymore, ask him. He's accountable for his actions and for his words. Ask him. And John lets us know through a parenthetical statement what they're really afraid of is being aligned with Jesus themselves and being cast out of the synagogue. Okay, John lets us know that it has already started to happen. To acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ would be to risk being tossed out of the synagogue. So the threat of excommunication hovers in the air. The Pharisees are abusing the authority that has been given to them. The elders of the people were abusing the authority. And the reason why they're abusing this authority is because they are selectively using the Scriptures and their tradition in order to Ignore the sign. We have to be very careful when we say that God can't do something. That's what they're doing. God can't do this. God can't use this sinful man that you call Jesus to heal someone who's born blind. Be very careful about the implications of your theology at times, brothers and sisters to say that God can't do something that he can do. Um, God can still heal people today. Does he give someone the the gift of healing like Benny Hinn? No. (laughs) That's a sign of the apostles. Okay, I'm not saying that. But can God heal somebody? Yes, he can. There's a big difference between those two statements I made, a very important difference. Okay. Anyway, there was one thing in particular that they ignored. They forgot or ignored that one of the tasks of the servant of the Lord was to open blind eyes. For instance, Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you. He is speaking of the servant of the Lord who is the Messiah. In righteousness, I will take you by the hand and I will keep you, I will give you, See, this is why we see it's the Messiah, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. Part of the ministry of the Messiah was to do the express thing that these Pharisees were denying happened. And so, they bring the man back. And what's interesting is that they basically make him declare on oath. That's the idea of give glory to God in this sentence. They want him to take an oath similar to what Joshua made Achan take in confessing his sin. In Joshua 7, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Same thing's going on. Give glory to God and tell us about this sinner, Jesus. Because we know he couldn't do it. Did you notice when I was reading that section, how many times that word no popped up? Let's go back to it for a second. Verse 24, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that's three, that though I was blind, now I see. Later on, we read, let's see. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God he does, uh, and does his will, God listens to him. Okay. Seven times in this exchange is this concept of what we know or do not know. The Pharisees are very certain in many ways about what they know. They're not sure where Jesus comes from, which is actually, um, they said they did in an earlier chapter. <laughs> so now suddenly they don't know where Jesus is from. But this concept of knowing is very important. We know this man is a sinner. They are convinced of Jesus's sinfulness this man on the other hand is not convinced of it but he's, he is convinced of one thing that though he was blind now he sees the very thing that they were also denying at the time. He's basically saying that his experience matters. He's bearing witness to Jesus Christ through his testimony, and we see this repeatedly through this text. He starts off with, the man named Jesus put, applied mud to my eyes, told me to go wash in the pool. I went, and I could see. Later, he's asked who Jesus is. He says, he is a prophet. He, he's continuing to affirm what Christ has done for him in his life, and he increasingly affirms who Jesus is. He's bearing witness to Christ with his testimony, a testimony that could cost him. 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession... Here's what I want us to pick up on. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This man is fulfilling this calling that Peter talked about. I almost wonder if Peter, in his mind, went back to this guy. Okay, because he was there too. This man who was in darkness, the darkness physically, but also spiritually, and that he was brought into the light, both physically and spiritually, and he is proclaiming the excellencies of the one who did that for him, Jesus, who is the Messiah. He testifies that Jesus healed him. He testifies Jesus is a prophet. He's getting closer to recognizing that he is the Messiah. R.C. Sproul, in commenting on this text, draws a distinction between bearing witness and evangelism. That's a good distinction to make. Bearing witness, he says, is about your testimony. You're, you're bearing witness to what he has done for you. And evangelism, the center, the focus is on the gospel, how people may be saved from their sin and the wrath of God. And so... We do both of those. We're called to do both of those, to bear witness. But remember, there are different sorts of things. You should have some sort of testimony about what Christ has done for you, but you should also know the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus coming to save sinners and dying upon the cross and rising again from the dead on the third day. We should know these things that we could communicate both of them because Christ has indeed changed us by his grace. Now, this man bears the cost. They kick him out of the synagogue. It's not that they just kicked him out of the room. They excommunicated him. They're saying, you are persona non grata here until you repent of your wickedness. Okay? Now, What we see, first off, the original audience of this uh, gospel. As I said before, it's most likely uh, John is writing to Jews that were probably in Asia Minor because he had a ministry in Asia Minor after leaving Jerusalem. And so in that context, we see particularly from the book of Revelation is that many of the Christians, the, the Jewish Christians, were being kicked out of the synagogues there just as Jesus had warned and just as this man experienced. We see that as well from the reading we had in in Acts chapter 9, because why was it that Paul was was walking to Damascus? To throw the the Jewish Christians in jail. To not just excommunicate them, but to cut them off completely. And for his desire, he was struck blind for a time. The opposite happened. Eventually, he was made to see, as we read. So, he bears this cost that his parents were unwilling to bear. He's kicked out. But while they cast him out, Jesus seeks him out to provide him comfort in his own presence. Psalm 27, verse 10 reads. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And that is exactly what is happening here. His father and mother let him go into the hands of the Pharisees to do what they will, but here is Jesus coming to take him in. Confessing Christ may cost us relationships. Confessing Christ, as we see in the book of Revelation, might cost us jobs but Christ takes us in. Christ protects us and deals with us. And so we see here the man is about to come all the way home, so to speak. Jesus has already made him to see. The man has already been, been testifying, but he's not necessarily all the way home yet in, this, in that. Jesus asks him to believe In the Son of Man, to entrust himself into the keeping of the Son of Man. Remember, Daniel 9, the true judge, the one who comes at the end of time is the Son of Man to judge all things. All the kingdoms have been placed into his hands. And so here, note the irony here. He has been judged by this lesser authority, this rather unimportant authority, so to speak, when compared to the Son of Man. You've been judged. You've been cast out. Are you ready to be taken in by the one that matters? Those people's opinion of you doesn't matter. The opinion that matters is the Son of Man, who is Jesus, the Messiah. That's what's going on here. Will he entrust himself to the true judge? He's given more light. He has more faith. And it says that he worshipped him. He bowed down. Now, there, there are some people who, who might argue that he didn't actually worship, that all he did was bow down, as you would, before a dignitary. But I have a hard time believing that. Precisely because of this, he's bowing down before Jesus. Let's think of Revelation 19 for a second. Did I put that in? Okay, yeah. John, the author of this gospel, says Then I fell down at his feet, the feet of the angel, to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. There is no way if Jesus is not God and he is a godly man that he would allow this man to bow down before him as if in an act of obedience or worship. His attitude would be like that of the angel. Get up, don't worship me, worship God. He receives the worship of this man because this man must worship him. He receives it because the, the, this worship is good and right in the sight of God because he is worshiping God the Son as he bows before Jesus. So in confessing Christ, we must remember both the cost and the comfort that Christ will bring to his people. Thirdly, this is the bad news, folks. Contradicting Christ brings condemnation. The turning point of this conflict, beyond the I know, you know kind of thing, is really when they asked him, sorry, when he asked them, jokingly, if they wanted to be his disciples too. That really drew their ire they really started to insult him and lay into him at that moment. But part of what they also declared amidst the insults was, we are disciples of Moses. The Pharisees ignorantly based their opposition to Jesus, the Son of God, on Moses, the prophet of God. The one who who said there would be a prophet like me who would come, and you must listen to him, speaking of Jesus. Okay? Earlier in John 5, we read this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus says. The scriptures, including those that Moses wrote, bear witness or testimony to Jesus the Christ. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. These Pharisees were refusing, even though it's in the Old Testament, even though, it's in the, even though they're claiming to be disciples of Moses and Moses would have joined Jesus, they're refusing to come to Jesus that they might have life. And so Jesus follows up, "Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, upon whom you have put your hope." That's these guys again. Jesus could almost like, you know, paste cut and paste, copy paste rather. That same statement. Had he been there, because remember he wasn't he wasn't at this trial. He comes later. But the same words apply. Moses will stand and will accuse them because they are rejecting the very one Moses bore testimony to. Despite all of their protestations that they are disciples and followers of Moses, they have missed what Moses was pointing them to, Jesus. And they will experience a horrible cost for what they do. Jesus' first advent was primarily one of salvation. We see that in John 3. But we also see in John 3 that many loved the darkness. And so when Jesus says here at the end of chapter 9, for judgment I came into this world, it's really to reveal who belongs to him and who doesn't. And these people did not belong to him. He was, in a sense making people blind. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets ministry, and it's the ministry you don't want. Because part of what God says to, to Isaiah in Isaiah 6 is, make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And the ministry of Isaiah was a a foreshadowing and a type of the ministry of Jesus. Because in part, Jesus was coming to the nation of Israel and making some people's hearts dull, their ears heavy and their eyes blind, and they refused to turn to him and receive life and be healed. That was going on. And so, in a sense, Jesus came to open blind eyes and to blind open eyes. The Pharisees and those who oppose Jesus are those who are spiritually blind. Let us not think for a second that if only they were a smidge smarter, they might have gotten this. Okay? It's not about intellect. It's not about, they didn't have the proper interpretive skills, okay? If only they, they sat in at the men's Bible study and learned how to interpret the Bible and teach the Bible, they would have they seen all this. No. I was a little amazed. I, you know, so now I've only got a tape, a tape deck in my car, you know, so I don't want to listen to sports talk radio anymore. I listen to R.C. Sproul, okay? And he was like, the greatest exegete, of the 20th century. I'm glad Mark McCurdy's not here today. He'd probably know the answer. Anyone know who Sproul says is the greatest exegete of the 20th century? Anybody? Take a hazard to guess. Rudolf Bultmann, flaming liberal who de- tried to demythologize the Bible. He understood it. Didn't believe it. Big difference. Okay? These people understand the Scriptures, but they don't believe it in a saving fashion. Let that be a warning to us. Okay? Spiritually blind. What Isaiah says, what is said in Isaiah 59 stands... Uh, you know, applies to them. Therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. They're groping in the dark, but they don't realize it. I was reading the kids' numbers 14 this week, and this stood out to me on Thursday. This takes place when the the spies come back from Canaan. How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? This is Jesus', I think, sixth sixth sign. They're still not believing. It's clear, but there's spiritual blindness afoot. And so that's why Jesus in Matthew 15 says, Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The rub was, they claimed to see. They refuse to humble themselves. They refuse to seek the truth. And that is the very nature of spiritual blindness. We don't see our spiritual condition. In uh, 1984, my first girlfriend dumped me on her birthday. Boo! Hiss! Right? Okay. What did I do? I went out and got drunk. My second girlfriend dumped me responded completely different precisely because God finally opened my eyes. I recognized it was not her that was the problem. It was me that was the problem. And I needed to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. First first girlfriend guy, spiritually blind. Second girlfriend guy, the eyes were finally opened. I did not perceive my spiritual condition prior to that. I thought I was a pretty good guy. I was wrong. Those who reject Christ remain in their sin. They have guilt and they stand condemned, as Jesus says at the end. So some controversy is about a stubborn refusal to see and believe the truth. Jesus came in part to reveal our spiritual blindness. Just as he healed the man born blind, Jesus gives spiritual sight to those whom the Father has given to him so that they can see and believe. We confess what we now see and believe about Jesus. When we do that, we enter into conflict with the world who does not want to believe. They will reject the truth and they will Reject us to their own condemnation. But here's the beautiful part of this, is that Christ takes us for his own to comfort us and to protect us. If you've been cast out because of, Je- you know, because of your love for Jesus, have no fear. He welcomes you in. Let's pray. Father, I think this is an important thing because we're coming to a time when we're going to be increasingly cast out of places of business and opportunity, increasingly relegated to the sidelines of society. And help us to remember that the opinion that matters is yours. Thank you that the Son of Man welcomes those who testify about him, who welcomes those who come to him for refuge, for shelter, who come to him to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for these marvelous promises that you give to us in the midst of uh, our increasingly conflicted and controversial world. Help us to uh, take courage in these things. In Christ's name, amen.